If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You know, when I study a sermon, I probably have already notes on a lot of the text. But what I like to do is I like to go to the scripture and I like to start fresh. In other words, I don't particularly focus on what I've written years before, uh, although I can use that maybe in a sermon. But I like to take a fresh look, possibly because I've grown in the language, grown of understanding language, more culture. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting all kinds of insights on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to talk specifically about salt and light. Actually, Jesus uses three metaphors in this text that we're looking at. Remind us of where we've been, verses 3 and 4. I saw that as salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize they bring nothing to the table. Blessed are those who mourn, are those who are mournful over their sin, which is a sign of repentance. And it says that they will be comforted or forgiven. That's the starting point. You can do everything after these and still miss the starting point of having a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. So you can definitely fake these characteristics that Jesus outlined in verses 5 through 9. Remind us of what those are. Blessed are the meek. You can't leave the cross the same way that you came. It forces humility because you realize that it is only by the grace of God that you have been saved immediately within the disciple. There is this desire to do what is righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So a true disciple desires desires the things of God. If that desire is not there and has never been there, maybe you need to go back to the cross and go through the repentance phase and truly trust in Christ. Jesus Jesus could have put these in any order, but he did it very specifically, very methodically. He worked down. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That is, they will find their fulfillment. Not in the things of the world, but in the scripture and in Christ. As a result of that, they realize that they need to live their lives, lives mercifully, mercifully. And that is that they show compassion. That should be the trademark, by the way, of us. It should be compassion. Why? Because we were shown compassion by God, and therefore we want to reciprocate and show others mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are devoted to God. See, this is a day-by-day devotion. So as we look at this in its totality... We see that Jesus is talking about the main central characteristics of a disciple that will guide them through their lives. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who try to make peace between people. We should always be reconcilers, not dividers. And then last week we looked at blessed are those who are persecuted. So we have we have peace. And then, by the way, this is how the world is going to respond. I'll give the train a minute. That train always makes me think of salvation. Get on the train.
So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called followers. Remember, we looked at that Greek word there, followers, called sons of God is the word for followers. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he basically reiterates in a second person you. So it's a general persecution and then a, a personal persecution. But then he ended on a high note saying, Rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, so Jesus has set the environment. He has set the environment in which the disciple will live his or her life. The environment is this, that the world does not like us and we will be persecuted. And instead of Jesus saying, I want you to separate from the world, I want you to pull back from the world. I want you to avoid the world at every possible opportunity. Jesus calls us to engage the world. He doesn't tell us to run from it. He's already told us that we're going to be persecuted. This is what we can expect. I know every one of us like to be liked, but that's not possible. And it won't happen. Some people will not like you. Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, I'm going to reel you in. Let you sit over here. Let the world do its thing. No, Jesus is now pushing the disciples out into the world. And that's you. That's me. That's all those that call on the, on the blood and body of Christ. And then, well, basically, let's look at this first point. We are to influence the culture. We are to influence the culture. Look at verse 13. And immediately Jesus sets up a, a contrast. He says, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to remind us here, those that are on smartphones, those that are watching by Facebook, you don't have a problem with this or even on our website. You'll notice up here in the upper corner, the northern corner, you have Capernaum and you have the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is speaking this. If you trace it down, uh, the Jordan River, and you trace it down, you come to the Dead Sea. That is roughly 87 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The big question is, what is in the Dead Sea? Salt. Salt. Uh, Jesus is using a common metaphor that they would have understood. Immediately their minds would have gone to the Dead Sea. Even though it was 87 miles away, they knew salt was huge. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, th this is uh, Jebel Uzdam cliffs along the Dead Sea, and they're piled with salt. This is where the uh, people of Israel would have gotten their salt. So it is, it is well known within Israel that the only way that you can get salt is around the Dead Sea, and that, that salt would be sent out. They would mine it. They would cultivate it and they, they would be able to meet the needs of the people. Now, there's two reasons for salt. One is for taste. But the second and the more important uh, dimension of salt is it was used for preserving, preserving food. But I think there's something deeper going on here. It's not just the metaphor of salt. It's not just that Jesus chose salt because it was readily available. People knew it, but they would have instinctively thought of the Dead Sea. I think there's something further or deeper going on here. If you go back and you look at Leviticus 2.13, you read this. You shall season all of your grain offering with salt. 
You shall not let, listen to this, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. You shall offer salt with every offering. That, that, that tells me that salt takes on a deeper significance, and particularly for, for, for the nation of Israel. So here you have Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. The word salt is halos, which simply means uh, a preservative. It helps in, in purifying meat. Over against that, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The, the Greek word there is gay. And that means people who dwell on the earth, the lost people. So you are the purification of the earth. This is where Jesus is moving towards discipleship here. I think about, as we look at our world today, this looks like a different place. I don't know which city this is, but rioters, police engaging. Here's a police vehicle in the background. It's on fire. You can see it's just a total mess. Let, let me just say this this morning. No political system is going to fix this. No political system is going to be able to fix this. Jesus said, you and me, we are the salt of the earth. We are the ones that are to influence culture. We are the ones that are supposed to be out there telling people about Jesus Christ. No, no, no political system can fix this because it's bigger than a political system. This is a heart issue. You do realize that. This is a heart issue. When the gospel is shared, we are the preservative. We are the purification for the people that are on the earth that are lost. Stuart Weber in his commentary notes this, in the centuries before modern refrigeration, salt was the method of choice for preventing bacteria from poisoning food. Salt was so vital for this purpose, that wars were fought over salt, and entire economies were based on it. Salt could literally make the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food was unavailable. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to remind us this morning that we are the ones that can go into the culture and change it. Presidents come, presidents go, political systems come, political systems go, but we are the ones that have the opportunity to share the gospel. When was the last time you told somebody about Christ? When was the last time you shared the gospel or was able to influence somebody in the way of sharing the gospel? Now, Jesus goes on here right after this in verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be? How shall its saltiness be restored? Lost taste is one word in Greek, and it is moreno. And that means to become insipid or tasteless. Let me ask you a question. Uh, if you put some salt in your hand, you don't taste anything, you're going to salt your meat with it? Probably not. 
Jesus' point is well taken. Once salt loses its composition, it cannot be salted again. Self-explanatory explanation by Jesus. What he's doing is he's throwing a question out there to make them realize that they can't possibly resalt it. They'd have to go back to the Dead Sea. They'd have to go to those mines. They'd get their salt. They'd have to replace it. Craig Bloomberg notes this. Loses its saltiness reads more literally, and I agree with him, loses its saltiness reads more literally is defiled. This is, not the, this is not the scientifically impossible notion of a salt becoming flavorless, but rather the common problem in the ancient world of the salt being mixed with various impure substances and therefore becoming worthless as a preservative. How can we be salt in a world when we are in the world and we look like the world? We can lose our ability to function. We can lose our ability to share the gospel because of the way that we live. To say that I'm a Christian is to be on display. I am salt, whether I like that metaphor or not. I, I have within me and you have within you Jesus Christ. You are the purifying element that the world needs. Not that there's anything within me that is worthy of, of anything. It is only because of Christ. And, and as I live my life, I live in meekness. Jesus has already alluded to that. Now then Jesus gives a real hard saying. Look at this next, this next phrase. After saying, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall, how shall its saltiness be restored? Jesus immediately says this. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. By the way, people's feet is the human beings which are connected to the earth. Now, let me say this. Jesus is not talking about the loss of salvation. Salt, whether it is Defiled or undefiled is still salt. In John 10, 28, we read this. Jesus said this. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Here's the thing. We can reach a state where we are no longer effective at the primary mission of a disciple of Christ. You can reach a state where the world will just trample you. And you lose your, this, 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 is, this is the main focus of the disciple. We want people to know what we have. We want people to know that there's, there's a way that you can come to, there's a way that you can have your life restored. If we fail at that point, we're worthless. We have no purpose in the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is saying. It is, it, he is laying it out there. If, 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 if we lose our hunger and thirst for righteousness, if, if we don't do the basics of discipleship of course we're not going to be sharing the gospel we'll sit at home and we won't do anything and that at that point the disciple at the core essence of his being becomes ineffective for the kingdom of God and therefore basically unusable think of it this way 
If you are unwilling to share the gospel when somebody asks you to share, hey, why do you believe that stuff? And you're unwilling to share it. You, what you're saying is you are unwilling and I'd be unwilling to uh, tell people this is where you get saved and get into a relationship with God. And if if we're not good at the basics, then we may as well go home and be with him. Yeah, Jesus put this there. He's he's not saying that you're going to be lost. He's just and it's it's in Hebrews, this other place. Some of some of us will be saved just as fire going going through the fire. Barely. I don't know if there's any barely, but you know what I mean? The metaphors are there. So what it means is, what it means is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I want to remind the church, those that are listening by Facebook, those that are listening through our website, your primary mission and my primary mission is to share the gospel with people who are lost. And if you're not doing that, I've met Christians that said, I don't share the gospel, it's personal. I go, well. Now, there may be reasons for it, but wow. Think of it this way. If somebody had the cure for cancer and they held it to themselves, how many people would that benefit? But they, but they decide to keep it to themselves. They, they've got the cure. They know what the cure is. I do know that there's some Israeli scientists that have gotten close now by way of a side note. Brothers and sisters, we've got the cure for humanity. The cure is Jesus Christ. The problem is sin. It's not a political system. Secondly, Not only are we to influence culture, but we are to make the truth visible. Two more metaphors Jesus uses here in uh, 14 through 16. And, and notice, again, if, if I didn't make it clear, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You is second person, personal. Here in verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Again, there's a comparison here between the child of God and the culture in which he or she resides. The word light is phos, which means light in contrast to darkness. The world, that word is cosmos, which literally is associated. Listen to this. this is, I'm taking this directly from the theological dictionary of the New Testament. The word world, cosmos, literally means people associated with a world system and estranged from God. We're the light. We're the light in the darkness. Second Corinthians 4, 6 for God who said, let your light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
you and I do not have the light source within ourselves. The light source is put there. And we reflect that light to a world. This is not about us. It's only about us in the fact that God wants to use us to reach the world with the gospel message. Everything else belongs to him. All we have to do is be faithful and willing to share it, to be the preservative that this world needs, to share the gospel. And I do think there is something with the salt and the covenant and, and Jesus and this New, New Testament idea. It's, it's for purification. So then he goes on to say here, you are the light of the world. There's, a, there's another metaphor which seems misplaced when you first read this. So he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Shows a contrast there between light and darkness. And by the way, if you don't think this world is in darkness, look at the news. Look at the stuff that they're allowing to go on in our culture. Even in public libraries now. Stuff that's happening. I can't even mention it in a sermon. Just stuff in general. We have gone, the world has gone nuts at this particular moment. More than ever, that's, that's where we come into play. Slowly some churches are waking up. Then Jesus mentions this. It seems out of place, but not really. Now listen to this. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Where'd that come from? The word hidden is the word crypto, which means to cause something to be invisible. Jesus says you can't hide it. Look at this city here. It's up on a hill. You can see that from miles away. Here's, here's another one. We actually saw this in Germany. Neuswanstein. You could see that for 10 miles. It's so high up, so visible. You can't hide that. David Copperfield can't do enough magic to make that go away. Now, the question is, what does he mean by a city set on a hill? He's just mentioned lights. And now he mentions this city set on a hill. The city set on the hill can be two interpretations. First of all, Christians are the city of God. Or more importantly, and what I think is correct, or it is a reference to the kingdom of God. Christians cannot hide the kingdom of God. It is impossible. It is within you. It is part of your DNA. It is part of your makeup. You, you share the gospel. You tell people. You live your life as light in, the, in, a, in a dark world. You cannot hide that. If you do, what are you? what is your purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? If we decide we're just not going to do this, we got hurt over an evangelistic event, I realize that. Some, sometimes you share the gospel and people are not going to like you and they may defriend you, they may move away from you, they may not have any more to do with you. But Jesus just talked about that in 10 and 11. You're going to be persecuted. This, this is something we got to fight through, guys. We have to fight through this. We are the kingdom of God here in the world. And yes, if somebody is in darkness and they see the kingdom, they see a huge town up there with lights, that's us, they are able to see their way to the kingdom. 
Jesus said a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he goes on here and he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. This is a first century oil lamp. You would light it unless you wanted everybody in the darkness. You wouldn't take it and put it under something and cover it up. So it only gives light to there. You put that lamp on a lampstand so that you everybody can see the room, right? We need to be on display. Dare I say we need to tell people that we're saved. We need to talk to people. And tell them. I'm a believer in Christ. And then get ready for either one or two choices here. Well three possibly. Stark. Harassment. Neutral. Or accept. Those are the three options. But this is what Jesus has called us to do. Got a picture here of a backpacker in the in the woods. By the way, we took our Trail Life boys camping Friday and we uh, after dinner, we 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 took a walk in the in the woods. I had my headlamp on like this and it was we did a mile long trek. We were going through the woods and and as I turned my head to the left, I caught some eye shine and the boys go, whoa. We noticed that the animal was doing this, and we realized it was a deer doing that. So we had to, re we had to reassure the boys that it was just a deer, nothing to worry about. Um, you know, it's real easy to get lost. I, I cut the lamp off on the way back, and it got pitch dark. You couldn't see the road at all. Then I turned it back on. You could see the trail again. I was telling the boys that when you get lost, don't get scared. Nine times out of ten, animals will not bother you. We talked to them the next morning about making noise, making yourself look bigger. Um, but I take that metaphor and I say this. There are people in the wilderness that are in darkness. They don't know Jesus. They're lost. They've got stuff on their backpack. Their fears, their greed, all of these things are on their backpack. This is a guy using a, it's a mirror. The mirror you hold up and you can aim between your fingers where you go. This is a smaller version of it. I, I tried it out and of course, sun's going to cover it up. I'm not going to be able to show you the, the dot, but this is a special mirror. It can line up where I can line up and hit any object so people can see. Let's reverse the order for a minute. We can shine the light where people are in the woods of sin and separation from God, and we can draw them to the light. That's what we're about. That's what we should be about. Well, okay, Pastor, how do we reflect the light? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
I don't believe you work for your salvation. Jesus did that on the cross. But we work because of our salvation. There's two different approaches there. One is people who are fearful that they'll lose their salvation. So there's working. So they're working to think that they gain God's favor by that. And then there are others who work because, oh, my gosh, he saved me. He redeemed me. I'm on the road to heaven. I want to do everything I can for Christ. Two totally different tracks. And then there's a third track where I'm saved. I do whatever I want to do. That's not scriptural. I believe in grace, but not disgrace. That we as believers and followers of Christ, and I know we're going to make mistakes. I know we're going to sin. I know we're going to stumble. And I know we're going to have troubles at times in our lives. But we need to keep pressing on. We need to be salt, purified, so people can know what purification looks like. We need to be the light so that they can be drawn to the kingdom of God, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I love what R.T. France said in his commentary, the disciple who is visibly different from other men will influence them. But the aim of his good works is not to parade his or her own virtue, but to direct attention to God who inspired them. By so doing, the disciple will give light to all. What do we learn from these few verses? First of all, we have a, we have a mission to influence the culture. This is the locker room. You have to go out and play the next period or inning or quarter. This is the locker room where we get energized to go out into the world. This is not the end of our Christian experience. We're to be light and we're to be salt. And by the way, the kingdom of heaven, we just draw people to it by the way that we live. Don't ever do your good works. Well, I do this and I do that and I do the other. That's really drawing, drawing emphasis to yourself. We really do that so that people can, wow, this, this guy, this gal's different. There's something, you, what, what, can you tell me why you're like this? Oh, easy, I can tell you why. Because I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Simple. To me, that's an evangelistic event. They've identified something in you that they see and they go, wow. Well, tell me more. And then tell them about how you were before you came to Christ. I was, hey, you think you're bad? I was worse than you. And then you slowly, over time, just be light and just be salt. We have a world that's lost. Our job and our mission is to influence the culture. Secondly, we are not to hide the light of truth, but to reveal the light. Please do me a favor. Next time somebody asks you to, and I know most of you do anyway, but next time somebody asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, just share it. 
I would rather li- li- this. This is me personally. I would rather risk losing a friendship, but telling them the truth, rather than hanging on to that friendship and never telling the truth. If you're a born-again believer, it comes out. And I, I remember the day I got saved, and I went back, and I told the guys, and they looked at me like I was from Mars. I was all excited, about a one-hour-year-old Christian, naive. I thought people would like it. I thought they would embrace it. Boy, was I wrong. Number three. We are to expose the truth by our good deeds. So, let me close by saying this. Maybe there's somebody in your life. Maybe there's somebody in your life, maybe not here in this area, but somebody that you have a friendship with. And maybe you've avoided sharing the gospel because you didn't want to be misinterpreted. Maybe other reasons. I don't know what the reasons would be for your case, but um, maybe there's somebody in the life you need to pray about. Maybe there's somebody you need to pray about and say, God, please give me the opportunity to share the gospel. From my own experience, I realize that when I do that, somebody I'm able to share the gospel with. (laughs) Because why wouldn't God answer that prayer? The mission of the church is to share the good news. And then just look for opportunities. I I realize, I'm going to tell you, it is scary. Particularly, well, actually, it's not scary for me because I've been a pastor for 30 years. People, I carry that Bible. I've got some, I've got some cover with me. So I realize it is scary. But I'll just tell you this. If you do it once, and even though they may not accept it, they may reject it. You've done your part. Then it's really, when we share it, it's really God's, it's God's deal at that point. But you have to be willing. Maybe there's one, two, three, four people in your life right now that you go, you know what? God, I need to share the gospel with these people, but I just need an opportunity. I think you'll find that opportunity. So let's go out this week. Let's go out into the world. Let's be purified salt that draws people. Let us be the light of the world that people see and they ask questions about us. And let's make sure that we're doing everything we can in our lives to attract, not distract.